Hello everyone, this is Sam of Historian Splaining. A historian tells you why everything you know is wrong. So I recently posted on Patreon for patrons only the latest installment in The Origins of the First World War, Part 10, Japan. This may be my favorite lecture that I've recorded and posted so far in the whole history of this podcast, because Japan is such an incredibly rich and complex country. Many people surely don't even know that it was a combatant state in the First World War, but it actually did play an important role. And what's so fascinating to talk about is how that came about in the first place, why Japan was even a significant enough power by 1914 to even factor into that war, and indeed was the only non-European country to join into the war in that first stage in 1914. And as I say in the lecture, it's pretty much beyond question that Japan had gone through the most dramatic transformation of any combatant country in World War I in those few decades leading up to the war. But really, that's an understatement. More than that, Japan arguably went through the most profound, dramatic, and stunning transformation of any country ever in the history of the world between the 1850s and 1914. So if you want to hear about how that came about and why that was possible and the roots of that transformation in earlier Japanese civilization, please go to Patreon and sign up at any level, and you'll be able to hear that lecture as well as previous patron-only lectures on Bosnia and Germany. And now I will just give as a sample a randomly chosen clip from the lecture. And then lastly, afterward, this lecture is brought to you by the letter Q, and I will thank my one and only patron whose name begins with Q. But first, this is a sample from the lecture, which begins with me discussing the song Miyasama, the Meiji Japanese imperial anthem, which happened to appear in the British operetta The Mikado in 1885. This was something new and surprising. This was a banner they didn't recognize. And so I would theorize the song may have been inspired by real events as the new imperial army marched through the country during the Civil War of 1868. Or perhaps it might refer more specifically to the imperial procession from Kyoto to Edo when the court was relocated to Edo in 1869. But regardless, the opera The Mikado is one artifact of a growing fascination and I think you could say an affinity between Japan and Great Britain, which in context makes a great deal of sense. Both of them were island countries made up of an archipelago off the continental mainland, and both of them were rather proud of their aloofness and splendid isolation from the world of the continent. Both of them by 1885 were naval powers and saw their freedom and independence as guaranteed by this sea power. And one can even see historical parallels between the failed Mongol invasions of Japan, deterred by typhoons, which is a sort of defining moment of Japanese history, and on the other hand, the failed Spanish Armada and their attempt to invade England, which was destroyed by storms on the English Channel. 
Both countries also were monarchies, and their monarchs were quite popular, in large part because they were very private and sequestered, and tended to stay out of the sort of rough and tumble of party politics. So all in all, it is not surprising that the British came to see a sort of reflection of themselves in Japan. And moreover, the Japanese, for their part, knew that the British were still the biggest world power at this time, and that the British were increasingly concerned about the Pacific sphere, and moreover, that Japan and Britain had similar rivals that they were concerned about in the Pacific, including Germany, and also especially the Russians, who had reached the Pacific and who were now expanding their power into East Asia, especially China. So in the early 1890s, the Japanese premier and foreign minister made great efforts to woo and impress the British, including by building a grand new banqueting hall in Tokyo called the Rokumeikan and hosting balls for the British, including one remarkable costume ball in which the premier dressed as a Venetian nobleman and the prince as a medieval European knight. And in 1894, the foreign secretary finally obtained the Holy Grail, which was treaty revision. So Britain, the premier world naval and imperial power, was now recognizing Japan as an equal sovereign state and trading partner. And this treaty revision came just in time for Japan's first major war. So the main security concern for Japan was still Korea. So Korea came the closest to the shores of Japan of any other country, and it had been used in the past as a staging ground, such as by the Mongols, for their invasions of Japan. And it still, at this time, was the most likely base for any possible foreign attack on Japan. And even Bismarck himself recognized this and called Korea, quote, a dagger pointed at the heart of Japan. So in 1893, a rebellion broke out in Korea, which threatened instability, much as had happened centuries earlier. And the Korean government called upon China for help in suppressing this rebellion. And China, in response, sent in troops. And China then kept them there, even after Korea successfully ended the rebellion on its own. So this then became even more threatening to the Japanese. And the Japanese government feared that China would permanently occupy Korea and possibly use it as a base then to attack Japan. And Japan demanded that China withdraw its troops from Korea, but the Chinese refused. And in 1894, once the ink had dried on this new treaty with Great Britain, Japan launched an invasion into Korea, which led to another brutal land war in which mainly the Koreans suffered. But at the same time, Japan won very quickly at sea. Japan by this time had a superior navy with well-trained staff and good morale, and it had domestic industries that were able to keep the navy well-supplied and repaired. And it had strong disciplined forces, and they had borrowed different techniques and methods of command, including army command structure from Germany and the naval admiralty system from Great Britain. So the war ended in 1895 with a stunning and decisive victory over China. And Japan began to negotiate a peace agreement with China, requiring China with, to withdraw completely from Korea, to give Japan control over Taiwan, and also to give them, in a sort of permanent lease, control over the Liaoning Peninsula, which is a peninsula on the northeastern coast of China near Korea. And this would allow Japan to intervene in future in Korea and to treat Korea as a sort of quasi-colony. But before a treaty was signed, the West stepped in. 
Russia, Germany, and France all stepped in, intervened, and objected to this treaty. They allowed Japan to have Taiwan, and they allowed for Korea to be a totally independent country with no Chinese troops. But they insisted that Japan could not have the Liaoning Peninsula, and instead stipulated China must remain intact. And in effect, they were protecting their own spheres of influence within China and blocking Japanese encroachment into China. So this triple intervention was seen as a huge insult and slap in the face to Japan. It was seen as a mark that the Western powers still did not really respect Japan as an equal. There was tremendous public outrage in the press and riots in Tokyo, but there was little that the government could do. They couldn't face off against three major powers, especially right after a costly war with China. So again, they had to accept this imposition from the West, and they bided their time and kept building up their own domestic economy and army and navy. They also aggressively colonized So thank you again for listening, and if you can help to support these lectures, and if you want to hear the patron-only lectures on Bosnia and Germany and many others from previous months and years, please go to the Patreon link in the description and become a supporter at any level. And as I said, the lecture on Japan is brought to you by the letter Q, so I'd like to thank my one and only patron, whose name begins with Q, Quincy Stemmler. Thank you.